Our special guest this week will catch up with Bill Waters, former Maple Leafs assistant GM and a broadcasting legend. And Mike Tanev drops by to answer the question, can we save horse racing? Joe Tilly Sports, coming up. Welcome to the program. Our special guest this week is a native of Aurelia. He played fullback and linebacker for the University of Toronto Blues. He was team captain and an all-star three years running, named Blues MVP, also wrestled at the U of T and played hockey, selected second overall by the Argonauts, a former teacher, broadcaster, player agent, assistant general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, former co-host of Primetime Sports, a regular on Next Sports Sports Star Network, ladies and gentlemen, Wilbur, Bill Waters. Bill, welcome to the program, buddy. Good to see you. Thanks, Joe. Did Paul write the introduction too? Yeah, no. Paul, Paul Pasky just provided the video. I, 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 I worked on the introduction with several people to be to dig this up. It's great. Yeah, man. But uh, welcome. You know, let's start with your football career, uh, Bill. I mean, you were quite the athlete, first of all. I mean, uh, CIS All Star with the Blues, three years running. Uh, Tell us about a football career. Well, I um, I played football for three years in high school, uh, two years of junior and one of senior, and I was still only seventeen, so I was I was a year ahead of myself. And uh, University of Toronto recruited me to play. We won a junior championship uh, when I was at OD Aurelia, and uh, we won a senior championship. So we had some success. And uh, the head coach at the University of Toronto at the time was Dalt White, and he recruited me to go there. And I went uh, and had four wonderful years. For, uh, Toronto, as you know, Joe, it's a long way from Lethbridge. It's a long way from Aurelia. <laughs> once, once you get there, everything changes for you. And I had wonderful experiences with the people I met. And one of the things about getting an education of any sort is the experiences that you have, meeting people, making new friends. And I had a bonanza when I was in Toronto. I met a lot of wonderful people, a lot of whom are still friends of mine. But my football career was something that uh, evolved lately, and, and it, but not lately by any Ontario terms, because you don't really play until you go to high school. And I, uh, I was big enough and good enough to play, and I, I cherished it. I, I almost went to Queens. I was recruited there among others, and uh, I was glad that I went to Toronto. I met Joe Kane, who uh, took me up with the Blues to play a game of hockey, which was a big thrill. And I said I wrestled, but football was my game. And when you look at it, it's only six weeks in the fall. It goes by so yeah. quickly. You have a lot of time to attend to other things, make sure you get your grades and make sure you meet nice people. And one of the nice people I met there, was my lovely wife. So what what more could I ask for? I've got a nice family from a lovely wife, and I have a lot of friends from the University of Toronto, uh, and I couldn't mention all of them because it would take up most of our show. Well, you know, you, you, you mentioned you 
play football. You played both ways. You played offense and defense. You're an all-star linebacker as well as an all-star fullback. You got drafted second overall by the Argos, uh, but you, your, your playing career, from what I understand, ended a little bit early because of a knee, knee injury. Yeah, what happened, Joe, is I played hockey, of course, interfaculty hockey at the University of Toronto. It was about a junior C level. It's pretty good hockey. And I'd play for our, the team, the school I was at, whether it was Victoria College or uh, it, it was the uh, School of Physical and Health Education. And on a day in February uh, of the year that I was drafted, which was my 19th year, uh, I got run from behind by a muscle man and I, I really sprung my knee. And so by the time I was drafted, I went to camp and I explained it to the Argos and they did what they called an orthogram. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I said, okay, fine. Fast forward 20 years. I knew there was something wrong with it because I couldn't run with yeah. it. And uh, Dr. Michael Clarfield was our team doctor with the, University, with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I said, Mike, my knee is killing me. He said, come on in. And uh, he said, I'll look at it. Take some pictures is exactly what he said. So I went in, he took the picture. He said, come on back Friday, we'll have a look at them. He comes in the office Friday and he says, when did you tear your anterior cruciate? I said, February 3rd, 1963, some buffalo from St. Mike's ran me from behind. That's it. So it was torn. It healed on its own, but I can tell you, when I went to training camp, I wasn't the Bill Waters they drafted, unfortunately. No, no question. So anyway, you chose to become a teacher initially. Uh, you made that decision. Uh, but uh, tell us about that decision and, and what, what did you teach? Well, I was uh, in my fourth year at U of T. I, you, you, you had an option to take what they called an honors degree equivalent, fourth year, and that's what I did. Uh, and uh, I played football that fourth year. I was drafted in my third year. So I played football in the fourth year when I left the Argos. I could play well enough to play at the level that I was at. And uh, I found that, you know, Joe, I was from a pretty simple, uh, well, well brought up family, but we didn't have a lot. And uh, teaching was something that I always cherished. I had teachers do I've never forgotten who helped me get my, so I, I had no compunction about becoming a teacher. And so I got a job with uh, a principal at North Toronto Collegiate. Uh, his name was Mr. Bud Page and he hired me. I was just 20. I was, I wasn't even 21 when he hired me. So anyway, I was teaching physical education and mathematics. And uh, I taught for three years and he made me head of the department, which was normally a process of 10 years. And I knew that I was in trouble because I had a lot of friends that were trying to be heads of departments that were older and had a lot more experience. But anyway, he pushed it through and I got the job. And then uh, I guess my fifth year, so I was starting my fifth year teaching when I decided that I wanted to do something else. And I, I think it just, I love the coaching. I like. I didn't like to have to go to work at seven thirty, watch the rest of them come at eight eight, eight o'clock, and stay until seven and watch the rest leave at four thirty. So I thought this isn't fair. But anyway, I'm enjoying what I'm doing, and that's when I uh, found out that the Orwalton Sports Camp, which had uh, 
I had been, worked at the summer before as a summer job, uh, was looking to hire a new director. Tom Watt was becoming the coach of the hockey team at the U of T. And he was the fellow who had been, anyway, I got that job and all of a sudden I'm working for Alan Eagleson, uh, Mike Walton and Bobby Orr. And my whole life begins to spin because it wow. was a wonderful one. And it was uh, something that I, uh, I had a lot of fun at. I worked for 10 years with Al. Bob and Bobby and Mike are still friends of mine. Bobby lives down in Florida. I see him on occasion, talk to him all the time. And so I, I all of a sudden, from a boy from Aurelia who wasn't sure what he was going to do, I taught high school, thought I had enough, moved on to uh, work with Alan Eagleson. And uh, the rest of the time is fairy tale stuff to me. I mean, there was no work involved. It was all play for me. Well, that was pretty good stuff, and you and you uh, you were a good player agent. I mean, uh, Rick Vive talks about you in his book, and and uh, I know Joyce liked uh, the work you did with the, with the Vive family as well. And and uh, you, matter of fact, you wrote the forward to this book. Um, tell us about uh, what made you choose to leave that business because you were successful at it. Uh, you know, you're you're good at it, and uh, yet you uh, moved on to uh, well broadcasting and eventually uh, uh, assistant general manager. Well, well I did I did it, Joe for from 1969. So it was probably Christmas or January 170, I started and I didn't leave it uh, or make a change until uh, I started my own business in 80. And, and uh, I ran that right. through till 86 or 87 before I sold my business to Rick Curran, who is today one of the top agents in the business. And I he had worked for me at the Orwalton Sports Camp and subsequently worked for me in the agent business. And I told him that when the time comes, you're going to be offered a chance to be a partner because I never got that opportunity. Otherwise, you'll probably still be in the same place. So anyway, that was right. that. Rick became a partner. Rick bought me out and I became a radio personality. I use the term personality in the loosest sense of the term, as you know that, Joe. And I, 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 loved, I loved every second of it. I worked at uh, CJCL uh, and worked with Bob McCowan at uh, Primetime. Uh, he started it and I was his partner. So uh, I no sooner right. got into it and I, and I got the opportunity to go to the Leafs. So my first kick at the can uh, from radio and TV involved two items, uh, Bob show, and uh, we also did sports page at TSN, Paul Beeston, right. uh, Jack W and John Wells. So I got a lot of, free training and somebody says, Mr. Waters, you know, I'd like to just be like you. Well, what do I have to do? I said, Joe, I said, I don't know that I can tell you. I said, I don't have a plan. I said, every, every opportunity, every opportunity I got, I worked hard at, I didn't offend too many people. Uh, and I said, uh, here I am. I've got a lot of opportunities presented to me. And I said, all I can tell you is if you get one, do it well because you never know what the second one is. And that really is what happened. It just kept coming. And before you knew it, when I had my 10 year, 12 year contract, not renewed with the Leafs, which was very disappointing, but it's part of the business. Uh, I thought, what am I gonna do? Well, I didn't have to wait too long. I had the two radio stations and the two TV stations, Sportsnet and TSN wanted me to work for them. I ended up going to Sportsnet and I ended up working at CJCL with John Oakley. 
who was a wonderful partner and friend. And so that's how I got into radio and TV. And I guess my poor performance for 10 consecutive years got me out. I don't know. <laughs> no, you, if you're doing a poor performance, it's usually like six months in your old bill. You did a great job. By the way, Vic says yeah. you're, you're moving too close. You got He's got to back you up a little bit. You got to back up. It's just made, there you go. There you go. We were losing. You're getting too yeah. close. Uh, so anyway, uh, okay. So let's. I want to talk about the transition from from broadcasting to the Leafs the first the first time around, right? And so, uh, uh, tell us about how that that came about and uh, in that experience, and, and you know, because it was a good. You had a good run there. Well, I, you know, twelve years at anything in sports is pretty pretty good. Either you've done your job. Or your boss is your father, or you know there are certain ways. You're hiding good. <laughs> but when when uh, the Leafs were there was a big uh, deal about her, uh, Mr. Stavros' ownership. Mr. Ballard had died, and I of course was a radio broadcaster for the Leafs, so I knew all the players. And I, I at the end I became Harold's friend. Not in spite of the fact he fired me three times, but each time he fired me my the people that uh, owned the leaf rights said, no, 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 we want him on. Okay, so I stayed on. But then when the lease, when Harold passed and the, the ownership was in dispute, uh, there's a lot of rumors around town, as you know, Joe. And I had heard that, uh, Al, I, I looked at uh, one of the guys who was an accountant whose name eludes me now, but he was a, a maritimer. And I said, if he gets the chief executive job, Al McNeil's getting the job. So, and I was, I wanted, you know, to work as, a, as an assistant and uh, get involved. So I made a call to the Calgary Flames. I said, uh, Al McNeil, please. And, you know, the phone rings here. Hello? I said, hi, Al. It's not Al, Willie, it's Cliff. I said, oh, Cliff. <laughs> so, so I said, here's what I'm thinking, Cliff. He said, well, Willie, I can tell you that Al is not going to Toronto. Now, if I'd been smart, I knew then who was. But yes, I said, uh -huh. well, he said, are you interested? I said, yeah, I'm very interested. He said, well, I may have some things changing here, and if they do, I'll give you a call. Sure enough, he got the job. Gives me a call. He said, Willie, I don't know if I've got the job. I have to meet with the new owner, and if he doesn't like me, I'm just taking my money and leaving. I said, okay. So anyway, I'm still doing the radio. Joe and I are up in Montreal doing a game. It was the 75th anniversary. We had the old hats on, the sweaters. And we're walking back to the uh, hotel in that uh, one, what the heck is the name of it? But it's got the big uh, uh, mezzanine and uh, is up on top of the, one of the manufactured buildings. And so I'm walking by and Cliff says, well, hey, he was up at the bar. I said, hi, Cliff. I said, how are you doing? So anyway, up we go. Joe and I have a drink with him. And we drink, you know, how much you do. And then he said, uh, oh, Willie, he said, uh, I want you to come down to the room. I go, oh, oh, oh. And so Joe, who was my buddy, Joe was coming with me. He's he's tagging along. So I say, Joe, I think, I think I'll meet you back at the room. Because Joe and I shared a room. So anyway, right. and there was nothing more to it, nothing more to it than that, uh, Joe. So yeah. anyway. Okay. We went to uh, went to Cliff's room and he said, here's the deal, Willie. He said, I'm meeting with S Steve Stavro on Saturday. 
He said, I'll call you on Monday if you have a job. I'll call you Monday if you don't have a job. Call me Monday. He said, Willie, I'd like to hire you. So we go through the details. I signed a three-year contract, which was the first of four that I signed. And I worked there for 12 years. And Joe, if you knew me when I was a child, there's nothing that I wanted more than to be a part of the Maple Leaf organization. And the fact that Cliff gave me that opportunity is something I'll never forget. And I, I can't repay him. He was wonderful to me as a boss. He taught me a lot about the business. And I just felt that when you have Cliff Fletcher for a friend, keeps his word, treats his people like they're human, and he looks after them when he has to. And Joe, Cliff Fletcher did more for me in enhancing my hockey career than anyone. So that was, that was my life with Cliff Fletcher, and that's the shortest synopsis I can give you. Well, that's uh, that was awesome. I mean, uh, the uh, you know, there's the phone call to Al McNeil, right? And and uh, that turns out to be the call to Cliff, and it turns out yeah. to be the, the the door that opened for you to get yeah. that job. Uh, it, it's kind of a funny uh, thing, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very co coincidental, and and it, yeah. it was good fortune on my part because. Had it just been an open bid, there might have been a lot of people apply for that job that Cliff thought could do it better than I. I don't know. But I know that when I talked to him, I knew that if there was going to be a job there, he would offer me one. I didn't know what it would be, but I was his assistant for uh, six years, and uh, then I was the acting general manager for the last six, uh, oh no, no, last four months when he was replaced. Right. Um, yeah, Phil, uh, sorry, Vic says, move the can your camera just a smidge to your right. Just a move to my right? To your right. No, move the camera a smidge yeah. to your right. Or else move yourself to the left, either way. Yeah. yeah. How's that? There you go. Yeah, or better. Okay. Maybe even a little more, but that's okay. Uh, you know, because it reminded more? me of the story. You know, I'll move it. There you yeah, go. Yeah, just, just a smidge more. more. Yeah, just a smidge more. A little more. A little more. Yeah, move it a little more. Is he good, Vic? Let me know. Okay. A little more. Is that good? A little more. A little more. A little more. Okay. Okay, don't move. Is that good? Stay there. Yeah, that's don't good. Move. Yeah, because yeah, it reminded me of the story, uh, Bill, that when, when I, I was working in Lethbridge uh, at CFCN Television, and I sent a, and, and I just out of the blue, and I don't know why, I decided to send a tape to Pat Marsden because, you know, I had no intention of going to Toronto or whatever. I just wanted to send a Pat a tape to Pat because he was a guy who knew everybody in Canada and he would be, you know, a good guy to send a tape to. And the very next day, which was crazy, uh, Fergie Oliver went into his office and quit and Jet Pat had just happened to see my tape. And, and you know, it's one of those things. You, you just never know what's going to happen when you, when you, oh, uh, no, you don't. put those feelers out. Oh, right? funny. The, co the coincidence and the commonality is interesting to point out. Pat Marsden and Cliff Fletcher were very good friends. From the Ottawa, right. Montreal, they, he was supervising the Ottawa uh, 60, not the 67, Junior Canadians, when they had the Junior Canadians in the Central Professional League. And Cliff spent a lot of time in, in, in Ottawa, so he really knew Pat well. They were good friends. Right, that's, yeah, a lot of crazy connections that just happen that way, right? Uh, now, um, I Surprised Cliff had spent so much time with, the, with Pat that he was still alive to tell the story, but he was. He was good. He survived Pat. Right. 
we 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 had we had a lot of good times back then, Bill. I tell you, um, oh, the yeah. uh. You, the I want to talk a little bit more about going to go back to the broadcasting thing for a bit, uh, and then come back to leagues. Um, you know, you you did the primetime sports with the Bobcat. What are what are some of your best memories working on that show and working with Bonesy on the radio? Well, I I, I only worked with Bob uh, for about a year. Bob was a real pro. I enjoyed Bob. He had a sense of humor. He didn't take him tell himself too seriously, at least with me alone, like we were just two people in a booth. And so I, I got, I got, uh, I enjoyed Bob. Uh, and then uh, when I, of course, got the opportunity with the Leafs, I jumped at it. And I had already worked six years with Joe as the color commentary on the co commentator on the radio. So my years with Joe were just fantastic. We decided that we're being paid so little that the best deal was to share a room and share the expenses. And I'll tell you the best bargain in North America. It's the St. Louis Marriott attached to the old baseball stadium. And for 19 bucks, the two of you could have the room. 950 ahead in, in a metropolitan city it was unheard of. But that right. was our spot. But we had a lot of laughs along the way. Um, the fellow that uh, we starred with in the movie, the big tall, just passed away. Uh, Danny Aiello. Danny Aiello. Danny Aiello. One day, yeah, one day we're coming back from Minnesota, Joe and I. And to get the Minnesota flight, you had to, to, and go to Toronto, you had to catch a 6.30 flight, which was tough. So we're out there at 5.30 in the airport. I, and Joe said, you stay here, I'll go get the, I, give me your, your ticket and I'll get the passes. So he's maybe 50 feet up, this, up the way uh, with the girl. And he says, hey, Wilbur, this girl thinks you look like Danny Aiello. I said, who? He said, Danny Aiello. I said, oh, that's nice. I didn't know who Danny Aiello was. And so anyway, I come home and the girl next door, who is now a lawyer, uh, her family was there. And I said, can you tell me if I look like Danny Aiello? She looked at me and she said, Oh, maybe a little. I said, oh, shit. So anyway, now what do I say when I meet Danny Aiello? When you and I did the movie of the goalies movie, there's Danny Aiello. I couldn't tell him the story because I didn't want to bore him. But that's how, <laughs> how, much, that's how much everything mixes itself in, Joe. Right. Well, that's that's there's that's from the trailer, and I, I was that was my next question. Well, interesting. St. Louis is, of course, a town you used to go to frequently because back then the Leafs were in the Norris Division. They would frequent St. Louis, and and uh, you know as part of oh, part yeah. of the deal. So you made a lot of trips there. So the nineteen buck group, nineteen dollar room was 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 an awesome thing. Uh, mm -hmm. So I want to talk about speaking of broadcasting. Yes, our buddy Frank D'Angelo. Uh, he's got you involved now with the Nets, uh, the, the network, and and it's like. Uh, He's, he called us to do the movie and uh, last big save. A lot of fun. God, I, you know, it was, it was oh, unbelievable yeah, it was, how, how Frank puts things together in like in a couple of days. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think that he had the movie done and, you know, we were there just for an evening. Oh, no, I, I, Frank, I don't know how long I've been there, Joe, but the only thing I know is that Frank has educated himself in the time that I've been there. He is a smart man. Not that he wasn't when I first got there, but not nearly as, like 
you know when he, you do him on radio or watch him on TV. Oh, he, he's, yeah. he's got great background. He knows so much about the things that are going on in the world. And I go, oh boy, I'm going to have to fake my way through this one. But Frank, Frank has been a wonderful friend to me. And I, I don't have anything but great things to say about Frank. He's looked after Bill and uh, hopefully Bill's looked after Frank. That's the way she works. Yeah, and you know what? He he's, uh, he does everything, right? I mean, you know, he he plays the he plays goalie, he plays you know regularly, and and he uh, puts and these he, movies together. He's just, his own band, yeah. right? Fourteen piece orchestra, right? He sings, he plays, he has his own. He, I, I think I'll do it. I, I think I'll do a talk show. Boom! He does a talk show. I think I'll make a movie. Oh, yeah. Boom! He makes a movie. He makes like ten of them, and uh, and they're doing pretty well. well like I mean. It was a lot of fun doing that movie. Oh yeah, I had a lot of fun. I mean, how many movies have you made, Joe? <laughs> well, I've been I played little I parts in a couple I've... of different shows. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, no. Well, I didn't yeah, even yeah. get the parts. I didn't. That's yeah. what I said to Frank. I said, "I'll want a movie, but I don't want the cameo shot." Oh no, he said, "You have lots to do. You'll you you can do the color with Jimmy, and you can be with the reporter." And I, I said, "Okay." But when I was finished, I I looked at to Jimmy and I said, "Jimmy." Frank was honest. He told me that I, and when I got finished that movie, I knew because you and I were talking to Danny Aiello, we were going to be in the movie more than the hockey part. And that's what I enjoyed the experience of, uh, of uh, having Danny Aiello as someone I could uh, talk to. And he, he said to me, uh, you know, Frank, he said, just upstairs at the boys. And he said, you know, Bill Waters, he interviewed me about my hockey team. And I've been here for, Two weeks, and was the first time I ever felt like I was the owner of the hockey team, which is okay for me because that yeah. meant that I must have I must have said something that made sense. So, I, I had a, I had a great experience with uh, Danny. Yeah, we ended up on the on the film for quite a bit. I mean, and, and it was pretty it was pretty cool. And, and and all of our lines were on there, and everything everything stayed. It should have been the last big save, starring Joe Tilly and Bill Waters. Don't you think? That's right. And then, you know, Daddy Aiello and you know, Frank. You know. We could have thrown, <laughs> could have thrown uh, uh, Jimmy in as the play-by-play guy. He did a great job of that. Right. Oh, yeah, Jimmy Ralph was good, for sure. Yeah, it was, uh, that was a hoot. We had a lot of fun. That was great. What a, what a, what a good time. So, okay, so now I want to go back to, to the lease now and, and back to your, your, your job as assistant general manager and general manager for a period of time. You're also the, uh, the uh, general manager of the St. John's Maple Leafs. Um, you guys had a couple of good runs over that time period. Tell us about like the 93 team and, and uh, how close was that team and, and how disappointed were you with Kerry Fraser and all the other stuff that went on in, in that for the 93 oh, team? Oh, I, I, like, Kerry was a great official. So let's start it with that. He missed one big call. He missed a spear under the chin that Gilmore took from Gretzky. That's all he missed. He just missed it. And his two linesmen were too busy looking in the glass at themselves, I guess. And I shouldn't say that about them because they're very good people. They missed it too. And we got beat. That was the final. They, they missed it. We got beat. We connected it. Not too many people else otherwise did. But that was our chance to go to the Stanley Cup against the Montreal Canadiens. And as I said to somebody, if we win against L.A., I can tell you, Bernsey's not going to lose to Demers. And we didn't get the chance. So we didn't go and the Canadians won. <laughs> it's funny how yeah. fate has it. Yeah. 
Well, even, you know, because because the, the Kings, I mean, really, you guys had that was a tough series, end up going seven games, and the Kings were so beat up. You know, I mean, they, they could have got away with a two nothing series lead in Montreal if McSorley doesn't get caught with a stick, of course, yeah. and then they go back to L.A. and and, and you know tied a one instead up two nothing. They would have probably won the whole thing if that had if they had been able to hang on to that. But they were they were pretty beat up by that by that time. It was a a great series, oh, yeah. great times. You had not, yeah. We were a big, strong team. Uh, we were extraordinarily well coached, and uh, we had solid goaltending. Uh, center ice was our strength, and like I talked to Phil Esposito on, on uh, Frankie's show, and uh, I said, Frank, uh, Phil, what, what do you what do you think is the how do you put together a mix to win the Stanley Cup? He said, Well, you you got to have a goalie, not the best goalie, but you got to have a winning goalie. He said, you got to have a defense that includes one solid defenseman that can carry it for you. And he said, you need two centermen and take your chances. And if you look at the Leafs, we, we, we had all of that. And our, our six defensemen were big, solid, experienced guys, and they carried us a long way. And I, I, I never thought as we went along, we played 40, uh, 21 games in 43 days so we didn't have much spare time and i never thought as we were going that we could win the stanley cup but each team you knock down you're that that step much closer and that's why i say to people don't rule out your team's chance of winning because once they get in the second round they can go right through that's what montreal did with, with the goalie patrick right. carried them yeah it was uh, but anyway uh that was that was a wonderful experience and especially early in my in my career, and, and uh, uh, I, I admired how Cliff put together the team. We had Osborne, Esposito, and uh, Mike. Uh, oh, the guy Kitchen? from Boston. No, 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 no. The big oh, centerman. Uh, anyway, we'll think Sullivan. of his name. No, no, but, no, 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 not big. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And anyway. He was. They, oh, Krzyzewski, Krzyzewski, Krzyzewski. That's right, Krzyzewski, right. and they were a good line. And uh, Andrew Chuck was wonderful. Gilmore was, you know, he was he was the straw that stirred the drink. And what a wonderful series he had. So, and a lot of people that you could admire and watch play at the best of their career, best best show they'll put on. Right. So okay, so now you're uh, you're you're going along with the lease. You're making deals, and, and uh, you know you talk about needing a top goaltender. You, you guys brought in some very solid goaltenders, Curtis Joseph and and, and uh, Eddie Belfour. Now the uh, you also needed some toughness, and and we got some uh, video uh, like a clip here of you. We uh, Pat Paul Patsko, our friend, dug it up. You're negotiating a contract with uh, Donnie Meehan. I think uh, I think Pat Morris was on hand too. Uh, this involved Ty Domi. Uh, Vic, if, let's, let's run that. You're going to compare Domi to Bob Probert. Bill, Bill. Are you telling me that 41 points to 28 points, no, there's no relevance? No, the type of player involved and the need that he fills. If you want to stick to the 28 over 41, then let's make a deal. I'll stick to this, Bill. Ty Domi had 25 even strength points. Berezan had 29 brings the distinction down to four points when they're on the ice on a five-on-five five basis. 28 is to 42. It's 41, but 28 is to 42. Kevin, hold 
as four is to six, as two is to three. And so unless we're going to drop the Berezin story, let's stick to the numbers. No, no, I'm not prepared to let you just draw the distinction or the analogy on on 41 to 28. Because what do you do in relation to the 275 minutes? Oh, no, no. Hey, I look at my lineup. I'll find somebody to get 275 minutes. I don't want it to get to that, Don. I, I know, but I don't want to be. I don't want to have to be you to tell the Toronto community that you'll get somebody else to do it as well as he does it. Do you think Genoagic doesn't do it better than Ty Domi or as good? No, he doesn't. Okay. Pat Quinn would take Ty Domi in the drop of a hat. Yeah, well. And you know that as well as I do. That's not the function here. The function here is to make a deal. You want 1.5, you're not going to get it. I want a million, I'm not going to get it. Bill, I know you too long, and I know... <laughs> okay, that was a lot of fun, Bill. That was... So how did, where did that, where did that come uh, that from? Was that was, uh, that CBC talked me in and Morris into doing that. Uh, it was it was not good stuff, although I thought we handled it well, the three of us, but I should never have been done. And, and by the way, Domi signed a seven-year contract. He had two free agencies coming up. He had a group five and he had his group three and I had to pay him through both of them. So we had, it was quite a, there was more than just seven years. There was seven years with a free agency after the first four and then another free agency after the next two or whatever it was. But that, that, and he was very popular with the fans. Ty was very popular and right. he had a very, he had a very good way with, with the uh, owners of the team. And in the end, uh, we signed him for the last time. My last signing uh, was uh, with the Leafs. And, and uh, it, was, it was not the way I wanted to do business. But I ended up doing the contract, and he was signed. And for two months. Right. It was, it, was, it was kind of weird there. But I, I, I thought the way you handle it, 20 is to 42 is 4 is to 6. And Sergey Bears, I mean, making those comparisons, it was, it, was, it, was, it was quite, I thought it was kind of entertaining. But well, uh, it was I, weird. I've never. More interesting than I thought of it at the time. That was for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So now, any any deals you're looking back on that, that you said you, you thought you what your favorite deal to do, best deal you ever did? What was your favorite deal? Oh, I, I thought the Sundin deal was the best deal. And the reason was, was at that time in Toronto, the hockey business was like gold. Everybody wanted to know the private business of everyone. And I said to Mats, I said, Mats, look, we're going to try and get this thing done before training camp. And I'd like to keep it between you and I and your, your representative. And, I, and he said, fine, Bill. So anyway, we went well into the summer. We were almost had the deal done. Nobody knew a thing about it. Mats had gone to Sweden for summer. I was sitting on what I had. And I get a call from uh, uh, one of the Sun reporters. And he says, hey, White. He said, uh, I understand you've almost got the Sundin deal done. I said, no, we're working on it. And we have been all summer. Okay, that slowed him down a bit. But then three days later, Matt said something in the paper in Sweden, and that was the end of our secret. But the fact that we had it had lasted that long and we'd kept it out of the papers was something that I was proud of because that's what we we're trying to do. And uh, we, 
uh, ended up announcing it in a couple of days. And he was uh, he was very happy, and we were very happy. We had a great deal, and we had a great player, and one of the one of the finest young men that I've ever met was Matt Sundin. He was he was great, absolute classic. Everybody knows Matt says the same thing about him, and a true blue Maple Leaf for sure. And you know, uh, you you got you have a great deal bringing him in. I mean, you end up giving up Wendell Clark for him, but you end up getting Wendell back anyway. So it worked out perfectly, perfectly well. And, and Sundin was a was a great player. So now I want to talk about this year's team uh, and where where you're seeing the least now, because I know you, I know you watch him. I know you're you're, you're a fan and and uh, uh, Let's talk about the, uh, you know, the team this year. Is this the best version of the Maple Leafs that you've seen? Uh, no, no. Okay. But it's a lot, it's a lot better than last year. And it'll right. be a lot better next year because they get a lot of good young players and they will see they, before you can call a team better than the other, Joe, you know, better than I, they better exceed their success ratio. The teams that we had, when I was there from 91 to 2003, went to the conference finals four times. We didn't win, went four times. When they go to the conference final four times, you can ask that question. Right. And you can ask yeah. it any time before because I'm gonna give you an answer that you don't wanna hear. I think they're a wonderfully skilled hockey team. Uh, I, uh, I admire uh, the age of the young guys and the skill of a Matthews and Marner, and now that Nylander is starting to carry his weight, it's even better. But I, I don't think they're what they lacked last year. They covered off this by adding some team toughness. They needed that. You can't win uh, the cup without um, having some form of toughness to protect your your best players, and the Leafs have done that. And uh, getting Felino is just like us getting Felino. We got Mike at the end of his career. They got their Felino at the Nick, yeah. near the end, but he's still got a few more years left. And he plays like his dad. He's tough like his I don't think he's tough as his dad. Mike was real tough and a great, great hockey player. But they've added some quality character people, and Felino is at the top of that list. And uh, I, I just, I just think that they're uh, they're close to uh, advancing to at least two rounds. But when they get to a third round, that's when you have to apply the theory that we talked about, Joe. You don't know what's going to happen if the Leafs are in the third round. That means they've won the uh, Scotiabank Division, and they're going to face either Colorado, Tampa Bay or Boston. Now, is that going to make them a great team? I'll tell you, it, if they beat Boston or if they beat one of them, if they go to the Stanley Cup final, that's one place that we weren't. So if you ask me that question a few months from now and they just come off a Stanley Cup final appearance, you got to look long and hard at them being one of the best teams uh, that, the, uh, that Toronto has had in the 2000s. I Who do you think is... Right, right. I know. I know. It's kind of the proof is in like, what have you done for me? What have you done for me? Get, a nice looking yeah. team, a lot of talent, no question about that. I don't think anybody's going to argue that. But what do you, so what do you think about, you know, talk about toughness. What do you think about Felino fighting Perry after Perry, uh, you know, 
inadvertently ran into uh, Tavares. Well, I think I think you have to know that Perry has a history, and so I think Felino played with him in junior, and he's seen him. Not, I mean, it was accidental. Everyone says that, and so do I. I have no reason, but Perry has been chippy, and Felino said that was a bit much. Let's do this. And that's a tradition I'd like to, them to get out of hockey. There's no need for that. Uh, whether you want to accuse him of intention or not, it was not there sufficient to go out and fight. And Perry can't fight anyway. So uh, I, I didn't think much of it. I just thought that Felino had to do it because their guy was on the ice and there were a lot of people uh, had the same thought in their mind. I didn't play with them, so I don't know. I've just seen him play, and uh, I, I, uh, I accept it as being accidental, and I surely hope it was. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think most of us believe it was, and, and uh, I guess that's all we can say. But some people will no, argue it, that by Felino fighting him, it ends it; it puts an end to it, right? Well, that's part of it. Yeah, that's part of it. But why should why should Felino have to fight him? I mean, if it's if it's not intentional, it's accidental. And if it's accidental, they doesn't deserve to be in a fight. I think that the right. commissioner could say, hey, any of the disputes that, that from which arise a fight that another player comes on the ice and, and addresses that accused player, both are thrown out of the game. And or the the aggressor is thrown out of the game. They've got to make sure that what you do in that case, you do with good intent and with good support. Now, um, what? So you, we we talked about Tavares leaving the game and now leaving the series, and who knows how long he's going to be out. It 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 uh, key forms align with uh, Kerfoot, Galchenyuk, and Nylander, and Nylander turns around and scores, you know, four goals in four games. Right. Are are you impressed with that line? What 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 makes that line work? Well, I'm impressed with Galchenyuk. Here's a guy who got a goal and two in the last game. And, you know, he's, he was in Montreal and he was in the same situation. He was drafted as a left winger and they put him at the center. Montreal has not had the center ice that they used to have when they had Billy Richard, Lemire, uh, Elmer Locke way back when. They don't have any centermen that can score. They don't have any centermen that can make plays. And that's why the Leafs can beat them 2-0, 1-0, 2-1 until the cows come home. You shouldn't be able to be beaten by it like that in your home ring. You've got to score. That's the game. The game of hockey is putting pucks in the net. And Montreal is in dire straits when it comes to that. So I, I, I just feel that the Montreal team, as much as they work hard, they could play the least for 100 games and they would never get into the 70s and wins. Are you surprised that Winnipeg got past Edmonton, particularly in you know, I mean, a sweep? Well, the sweep was a very significant surprise, but Winnipeg winning was not a complete surprise. I, uh, Paul uh, is, is one of the uh, best coaches in the league as far as I'm concerned, and I knew he'd have Winnipeg ready. And when you look at his team, his goaltending is better. Uh, his defense is the same, maybe a little better because Edmonton's not that good. But his forwards, you know, they just kill the two the two big boys on, on Edmonton and Edmonton has not protected their 
two top players, and they go out, score two, get four points. Nobody else helps them, and, and it's terribly frustrating for them. Sure, but that's what Edmonton has to address. They have to address a management situation as opposed to a player situation. Although their lack of depth is a uh, is a function of bad management. Okay, let's assume that uh, the least get by Montreal because it really looks that way. You look at that Habs bench at the end of that that game four or game yeah game four, and they look pretty beat. And this is in their building. Look pretty dejected. I'm going to assume the least get get past the Habs, but we can't ever make that assumption for sure. However, let's say they get past the Habs. Do they have what it takes to be Winnipeg? I mean, Connor Helbeck has been in their heads a little bit. Oh, oh no, they've got a great. Did you watch them when they went in there and played Winnipeg two games straight? They just manhandled. Right. They just manhandled. Yeah. But the Leafs are a puck possession team. They don't like to be checked. They don't like to be slashed. They don't, they don't like that style of hockey. And so they lose a bit of their edge on that. If they can focus on what they do best, puck possession, get it, don't let them take it away from you. That will make it easier on them because they don't want to begin the penalty race, so they get in the penalty box. And Winnipeg has got a good power play. Toronto's got a horrific power play. Horrific. And they got to straighten that up going in. But having worked for the lease for 13, 12 years, and as a boy, the Maple Leafs from my team, I knew every leaf that played. And for me to say that Winnipeg uh, is going to uh, beat but Toronto is not even close to the truth. I think the Leafs have the potential of beating Toronto, Winnipeg uh, as long as they don't beat themselves. And by beating themselves is a reaction to the physicality that, that Winnipeg can bring with those big forwards. They've got, they've got good size. Jack Campbell can get it done. Jack you, Campbell. You can't faith in Jack? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I don't. Jack Campbell was drafted by the Dallas Stars, first round pick. Didn't play a game. Didn't play much in the minors. Jack Campbell went to the Calif to the Kings. Didn't play. Played in the minors. Jack Campbell played his first playoff game after I think ten or eleven years. I didn't. So I it wasn't. I didn't have faith in him. I had faith in him. I called my buddy Joe Bowen. I said, Joe. What do you think of Campbell? He said, I'm just going to tell you a quick story, Willie. Two years ago, when we acquired, we being the collective uh, team and the home broadcaster, when we acquired uh, Soupy, he said, Bill Ranford came up to me. He said, hey, Joe, how's my boy Campbell doing down there? Joe said, oh, he just got there. He's, I think he's playing a couple of games in the minors. He said, Joe, put your money on it. He'll be their number one guy within two years. This guy is a goalie. When I heard that, I thought, well, Billy Ranford's not an agent. He doesn't have any reason to. He's out of that, but he's not in it. But And Joe, I, I, I know Joe well enough. He wouldn't distort the facts. And when Billy Ranford tells you that, I put a lot of faith in it. So I didn't know how good Soupy Campbell was. I made the mistakes of following his experience and his statistics with the two teams that he played with before, which is a normal way of playing, of doing it. And unfortunately for Soupy, he didn't do much. But now he has done a lot and he's done it very well. And Joe, he will be a big part of them moving forward because as they move, it gets tougher. And his goaltending will have to be NHL playoff caliber. And like 
He's the first goalie uh, to get an NHL shutout since Johnny Bauer. That's wow. that's the company he's yeah. keeping now. Right. No, he's 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 impressed the hell out of me, man. He's he's just uh, he's got the great attitude. He's unfloppable, totally unfloppable. He had a couple of blips earlier in, in the season, but he came back from that, and, he, and he's been great. And uh, his play, his players, the other players love him. You know, he was buried behind Jonathan Quick. You know, in L.A., what are you going to do? Quick was, uh, you know, winning Stanley Cups, and it's pretty hard to, you know. But uh, now that he's getting his chance, it's great. Well, Bill, I, I just want to say I want to thank you for for taking the time to join us on the show. It's been awesome catching up with you. As a guest on the Joe Tilly Sports Show, we have a, a, a foursome at Clubling for you. So you can get out there and knock around the small ball or take you get, okay. give it to Brad if you want, whatever you want to do. It's all, all good with me. And uh, just to let, I, I want to thank you once again. It's been great. And, uh, yeah, thanks for being here. Mike Tanev is going to join us next. And remember, we're all in it together. You got it. Thanks, buddy. We're all fortunate to be in it together and have the fun we've had. And it was a great time with you, Joel, and thanks for having me on. Thanks, Billy. Promotional consideration provided by Clublink. Clublink. One membership, more golf. Do you realize that 80% of golfers enjoy country music? Really? No, but 100% of golfers enjoy timely play. And that means being ready when it's your turn. Bring enough clubs to make a shot when you go to a ball that's away from your bag. Leave your clubs in an advanced position so when you move on, you're not going backwards. Remember, we're all in this together. Addiction Rehab Toronto, Toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center, saving lives, reuniting families. The only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox, treatment, sober living, and lifetime aftercare all in one place. Our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity, respect, and purpose. Let us help save your life or your loved one's life Call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention. 1-855-787-2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. Joe Tilly Sports is brought to you by COSA, Central Ontario Standard Bread Association, providing a united voice for harness horse people racing at Ontario tracks. Check out your benefits today at COSAonline.com. And check out COSA TV on Facebook and YouTube for all the latest harness news and live action updates. Live racing year-round. Go to HPIBet.com for all your wagering options. Become a member today and your first bet is free. That's HPIBet.com.
Welcome back to the program. You know, one of the many industries that have been affected by the pandemic, of course, is, is horse racing, particularly harness racing. Ontario tracks are still closed, despite having an impeccable record with COVID and being an outdoor activity. Now, joining me now is Mike Canev, owner of MT Stables. Mike, tell us about the effects of uh, the pandemic from a horse racing uh, horse owner standpoint and the way the government's handled it. Well, thanks for having me on again, Joe. I mean, uh, actually getting back to last Thursday when they made that announcement for the outdoor activities with golf and tennis, uh, you know, I was pretty confident that we were going to get booked in with those guys to do it. But unfortunately, the government chose not to do it in their announcement. But, you know, from our standpoint, as an owner standpoint, all we're doing is just, you know, dying in debt type of thing. I mean, for lack of better words, um, you know, the owners still have the bills. We're not racing. We're getting a thousand dollars from, you know, Ontario Racing and COSA. Uh, but you know, it's just not enough. Uh, you know, we need somebody to step up here and, uh, and stop blaming everybody. Well, you've got an excellent job, an excellent track record. You, you know, when, when racing was going on before 10, 11 races, 11, 10, 11 races a night, like a hundred horses on the track a night, uh, zero, zero transmissions of COVID. Um, what would you like to see, uh, like change? How would you like to see the government handle this? What should they be doing? Well, I mean, first of all, I think that horses should have been deemed essential. But um, aside from that, I mean, you know, when you and I talked, uh, you know, probably about a month ago, um, the horses are athletes, a high equine athletes. I, I, I wrote a blog the other day um, asking the question, are horses athletes or is horse racing a recreational sport? But according to WEG and the government, we're neither. Um, so what are they? I mean, and, and this is where somebody really needs to get out in front of this. I mean, I, I honestly think that um, I've been saying this right from way day one. Weg, uh, who has a complete monopoly on betting in Canada, um, isn't trying hard enough, isn't lobbying to the right people, um, you know, to get us uh, in, into a meeting, which they did not attend to originally. Uh, Jim Lawson said that they weren't invited. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but, but he tells me it is, but I just kind of think that somebody needs to say, you know what, let's just do it. Let's get these guys back in action. Let's stop the families, you know, from going broke. Uh, people are being laid off on a daily basis by trainers because horses are going down South. Well, uh, Woodbine's allowing money to be bet. Of course, we're bringing in money from uh, betting on other tracks through HBI bet. And, uh, you know, the uh, some U.S. tracks are experiencing record handles. I don't think there's a coincidence there. Uh, is that why we're not racing? Because there is some money coming in from other sources? Well, I mean, that, 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 that's of my opinion. I mean, you know, I on a weekend, there's probably 60 to 70 tracks that you can bet um, through HPI. Um, I asked Jim Lawson a question about a week ago. I text him. I've spoken to Jim once. He actually called me, you know, a couple of months ago when we originally went into the lockdown, you know, and, you know, we had a conversation. But I've I've always said that if we didn't, uh, if we didn't have inner track, we'd be racing. I asked him that question and I still have not received a response from Jim Lawson yet. So. The the word is that June 14th, uh, they're going to be allowed allowing uh, some race racing with some spectators. Uh, that sounds like a bit of a carrot, but it's really not what you guys want, is it? It's not what you need. No, because it really, if you really look at that June 14th, step one, what the government has gotten into, they say it's an estimated time. That's not cast in stone. 
And if you read a little bit further inside it, it says that we're allowed spectators. Well, we're a sport that doesn't need spectators. We've ran very, very clean from a protocol standpoint with, with zero transmissions at Mohawk. We do not need fans to, to, to race at Mohawk. All we need to do is someone to say, yeah, you can go ahead. The spectator thing is something that can happen down the road. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, the government has allowed training and they've allowed um, training at the track. And now as of this weekend, they've allowed qualifiers. Well, if you've allowed the same people to train the horse at the farm, to take the horse to the track to train and then to qualify the horses, where's the difference? I, I don't really see there's a difference there. It's going to be the exact same people. Protocols walking into the paddock at Mohawk are just, just off the charts. And you can see by their numbers, it, it shows that as well. So why don't we just say, let's start racing now, like the 2nd or 3rd of June. Let's start. Let's go. Like, what, what, what would keep them from doing that? Like, why don't we do that? We just make that, you know, just do it. Well, I mean, I, I, I kind of think that it's WEG. I mean, you know, WEG, WEG, WEG says that it's the government falling on deaf ears. Well, I can tell you last Thursday. I emailed Lisa McLeod in her office in the PN. I got a response within an hour saying that she does not handle things anymore in the PN. She handles them at her downtown Queens Park office. I with her chief of staff on Friday, uh, holiday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Last night about nine o'clock, I received received an email from Noah saying that thank you very much. Uh, we, we will we will look into your concern and reply has given way and and I get a response but yeah that way who's part of the, the you're breaking up you're, you're breaking billion you're breaking dollar bill, um run by the agco um who's the government can't get a hold of anybody in the government and that that's Yeah, we, we I can't hear you. Uh, you can't hear you, Mike. You're breaking up. Um, I'm going to see. Hopefully, I'm just going to talk a little bit here, and hopefully, your connection will improve as uh, in in the next minute or so. But okay, so what I want to ask is, okay, so we got golf, tennis, soccer back. Uh, what's the difference between golf, tennis, soccer, and racing? Uh, we've got yeah. NHL and AHL <laughs> hockey. Now these are the high performance athletes you're talking about. Now, after the, after the original meeting, um, I know that the AHL was made exempt after that original meeting. So if they can make the AHL exempt after that uh, original meeting, why wouldn't they able be able to make uh, ho uh, harness racing uh, exempt, at racing, horse racing of all kinds exempt? Now, you want to talk whether they're elite athletes or not. Horses are elite athletes. You want to talk over this if you if it's a recreational sport as you mentioned earlier 
horse racing, yeah. Can look at it. If you want to look at it as a recreational sport, then it should be an outdoor recreational sport and it should be allowed as, as other sports are. If it's a high-performance sport like the NHL and the AHL, then they should be uh, allowing horse racing as well. Um, you know, if you look at it from the NHL standpoint, 22 players plus coaches, trainers, refs, etc., traveling together, how can you possibly think that that is safer than socially distanced racing. Racing is naturally so socially distant. You're in a buggy. You're behind a horse. You know you're you're at least six feet apart. Um, I don't know if you're back yet, uh, Mike. If you are, great. If not, then Vic, uh, uh, let me know. Sorry. Okay. So apparently we have lost uh, we have lost Mike, but I want to thank you, Mike, for uh, for taking the time to join us and. Yeah, you're, you're sorry. You're. I can't. I can hear you, but your audio's cutting in and out so badly, I can't understand what you're saying. So, um, fortunately, just a bad connection. Okay. All right. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for taking the time to join us, and thanks for being on the show, Mike. But the bottom line is this: we should be racing horses. If you can qualify horses. If you can train horses, there is zero difference between qualifying and training and racing. And what this is doing is having a grave effect on everybody involved in the, in the harness racing industry. It's affecting families, you know, people like Bill O'Donnell at, at, at COSA, you know, he's a guy who's been, who grew up in the, in the harness racing industry. 30,000 people in this business rely on harness, are in the business relying on the sport to be running. 30,000 people in, the, in this in this province paying taxes, relying on uh, harness racing, you know, relying on the sport, and there's lots of spinoffs as well. So, I mean, you know, let's get them racing. There's just no excuse for it. All right. Speaking of which, it's now time for my... All right, time for my Costa Swiss Pick of the Week. Uh, now, last week, I was at Yonkers Raceway for Friday night's open trot. I had the number six horse in the race, which was most interesting man coming off a couple of victories. Now, unfortunately, he got off to a terrible start. Most interesting man was dead last out of the gate, then got caught behind a slower horse. He tried to find some room, couldn't do it. Give credit, though, to the favorite Mississippi Storm with George Brennan in the buggy getting it done. And uh, but Mississippi... Uh, uh, Mississippi Storm, the winner, most interesting man, was dead last. This week, we're going to go to Harris, Philadelphia for Sunday's Maxi Lee Trot, a $100,000 race. It's the final of the Maxi Lee. I'm going to take It's Academic, driven by Yannick Jingroff or trainer Ron Burke. It's Academic has reeled off three straight victories and should be able to overcome that tough number eight post position, very tough post at Philadelphia. Go with Manchego for the eight to five exactor. My record on the year is now five wins, two seconds, two thirds, a fourth, a fifth, two eighths, and a tenth. Uh, for all the racing updates, updates, visit Costa TV on Facebook. Ontario Racing is holding an online seminar on owning a racehorse. Go to uh, ontarioracing.com slash horse ownership. Go to HPI Bet for your wagering options. As we mentioned earlier, there are many racetracks racing across parts of North America. It was a rough week for the Blue Jays, dropping five games in a row. The offense just wasn't uh, wasn't too bad, actually, but the bullpen was, well, atrocious. Blowing leads all over the place. They've got to do something about that. Getting swept four games by Tampa at home was a killer. 
they could have won three or four of those games if the bullpen had to shut the door. The good news is George Springer is with the club on the road and could return any day. And the really good news is, well, Vladdy Guerrero is absolutely on fire. Guerrero smacked his major league leading 16th big bop against the Yankees as the Jays stopped the slide. We might be looking at an MVP winner, folks. It's been a long time since the NBA championship has been this wide open. It's looking like the Bucks and Nets could get a job could get the job done in the East. I mean, anybody can get it done in the West. Uh, you can pretty much pick a team by throwing a dart at the board. I can't say I'm sad to say that the Clippers are down two games to none to the Mavs. The claw should have stayed in Toronto. By the way, I'll stick with my preseason pick, Nate Nets over the Lakers. What a job by Phil the Thrill. Kept waiting for the wind to come on the lefty sails, but just never happened. On 16, he outdrove Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau. Had the longest drive of the day on 16. Not bad for a 50-year-old. And uh, he was absolutely brilliant at Kiowa Island. Then there was absolute bedlam there. They didn't see much social distancing, folks. Mickelson finishes 600 to become the oldest man to win a major. He turns 51 next month. His sixth major, second PGA title. None of us picked Phil in our picks in our pool last week, Rod Black and uh, Humble Howard. But I have to tell you, I did clean up. All three of my picks, plus my two long shots, all made the cut. None of Howard's top three made it. One of Rod's made it. We'll have the boys back in a couple of weeks to preview the U.S. Open. What do you think? Can Phil pull off another stunner? Uh, I don't think so. Anyway, a reminder about our weekly contest, the Joe Tilly Sports Contest. We're giving away 12 awesome Mitch Marner T-shirts, three collector sports prints from the talented artist Rob McDougall. You can enjoy all of Rob's work at robmcdougall.com. we still got a couple left to enter. Simply subscribe to Joe Tilly on YouTube. It's easy. It's free. Good luck. And we're going to close the show with a look at the folks who make this all possible. These are friends, trusted business associates, all-around great folks, and uh, I highly recommend them all. A reminder that the show is also available on the Spanglish Network and Zingo TV and the Fire Network. Thanks once again to Bill Waters and Mike Hanna for being with us on the show today. Sorry about the technical difficulties. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next week when uh, former Leafs GM Gord Stellick joins the program. We'll see you then. Get Aldo at Remax Crossroads. Do you want to buy or sell a home? Could 31 years of real estate experience help you? Why not speak to an amazing team that loves to overpromise and overdeliver? Call 416 Get Aldo or visit www.getaldo.com to find out what next level real estate looks like. RS Demolition and Excavation has extensive experience with complete teardowns and interior strip outs. Looking to build a custom home? RS Excavating Services has the experience you need to build in established neighborhoods. For the highest level of quality and cost-efficient results, we provide innovative demolition solutions completed on time and on budget while ensuring our number one priority, safety. Call 647-852-3006 for an estimate or visit rsdemolition.ca. Brian Gribben Insurance Planning, helping you solidify your financial future. At BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in their early years of retirement without the fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. Please look us up at bgip.ca today. And let's book a 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family in your planning. Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did 905-686-5678.
Goldline Resources, discovering high-grade gold in Sweden. Goldline Resources owns a prospective portfolio of four high-grade gold exploration projects located on the Goldline Mineral Belt of north-central Sweden and one gold exploration project in the Skelftia Belt of north-central Sweden. For more information on how you can invest in this new initiative, go to goldlineresources.com or call 1-800-858-9710. Goldline Resources can also be found on the TSX Ventures Exchange as GLDL. Looking for an advantage in choosing your investment options? Belmont Venture Capital will provide you with the best up-to-date opportunities in the mid-cap and junior sector. The company was formed 12 and a half years ago and is spearheaded by two seasoned veterans of the financial markets with over 80 years combined experience. Go to BelmontVentureCapital.com today for the latest hot picks on the market. And don't forget to sign up for the newsletter. BelmontVentureCapital.com Brought to you by MNP, one of Canada's leaders in national accounting as well as tax and business consulting. We proudly serve and respond to the needs of clients in the private, public, and not-for-profit sectors. Through partner-led engagements, we provide a collaborative, cost-effective approach to doing business and personalized strategies, helping people and organizations succeed across the country and around the world. Call MNP's Durham office today, 905-579-5531, or go to mnp.ca.